0: When you're born, usually you're born into a dynasty or an empire, right? I feel as though I'm cheated because instead of me fulfilling my prophecy, I have to start one. But then I thought to myself, what if this was a movie? Welcome to the Daydreaming While Black podcast. Another week, another episode, once again with my good friend Diego. So. Today, we'll be talking about a bunch of soccer topics, but to get it started off, perhaps the groundbreaking news world over and wanted to first present it to Diego, um, your thoughts on the messy situation with Barça, pun intended.
1: Hey, Greg, thanks for having me on again. Um, Well, where to start with that? I think that everybody lost I think everybody is a loser in this situation i think barcelona lost i think messi definitely lost and it's another good example of what big clubs especially what real madrid and barcelona you know have typically and historically done to their great players you know they uh-huh. they torture them and you know i think that messi wanted to leave he clearly wanted to leave he said it in the interview you know that's not a mystery right and he's trapped You know he's trapped. He's held hostage. Mm
0: -hmm. And I think um, I know we had talked off air about it a little bit, and um, I was even um, discussing it with some other people this over the weekend. And does this sour his legacy at Barcelona because of this situation?
1: He's given Barcelona everything: thirty-four titles. Um, He's given him everything. And, you know, one reason why it is, why the situation is disappointing, you know, is because Messi was going to leave through the back door. And lots of Barcelona's recent starts have left through the back door. Um, And that's something that Messi doesn't deserve. You know, Messi deserves to go through the front door. He deserves to leave with the pack, Camp Nou. He deserves to leave, you know with the crowd chanting his name, you know, being forever thankful for changing the history of Barcelona. I mean, Barcelona's history seems like one that is full of glory, but Barcelona historically was a mid-table team. They had Uh achieved their first Champions League in 1992. Um, You know, and and with Messi uh, as the star player at the helm, you know, this team catapulted, you know, into being one of the most important clubs in the whole entire world. And, you know, a, a club that now has an incredible, an incredible amount of success because of Messi. You know, Messi deserves to leave to the front. Does it? You know, um, stain his legacy at Barcelona. You know, a little bit, but also that wasn't Messi's fault. The management at Barcelona, the president, uh, Jose Maria he's a. Uh, you know he's a ridiculous man he is a, sh- a shady businessman and so have the past presidents of barcelona and messi um he 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 waited he he you know he he was biding his time and and through all his malcontentedness he he sort of you know waited and he witnessed lots of shady presidents come and go and, and he stayed, and, you know, Barcelona's fan base should be incredibly thankful to Messi no matter what. And so should Barcelona itself.
0: Yeah, I mean, for our listeners out there, if you are not aware of it, Barcelona um, has been in and out of the news probably for the last five to eight years for things they were doing under the table, like signing players way too young, and somehow no one talks about it anymore, but they were supposed to get banned, for transfers and stuff like that, but they still were able to get transfers and stuff like that. Griezmann's on the team. Suarez is walking out of the proverbial back door, like you mentioned, Diego, where he is um, from. What I've recently read, going to Juventus, um, and so you know, even even with all of that said, I think it's interesting because you look at that team on paper now, and I think and correct me if I'm wrong, seven or eight out of the eleven are 29 or older. Messi's included on that other side of the bell curve graph where um, you know, the players that have led to, you know, that number that you mentioned of so many titles, um, you know, they are not as sharp as they used to be. And like you mentioned, he, you know, he wanted out. He said it in the interview. Um, you know, he kept one of the biggest things I think he mentioned that stuck out to me was um, you know, they said that they were gonna fix these issues we had on the team side, but they kept trying to plug these holes with stopgap measures by signing certain players and it never worked like it was not a stable um, presentation of what the team needed to be as it has transpired over the number of seasons and you know you look at that team on paper and this is their first season I believe in six years if I recall correctly they haven't won anything like goose egg for the entire year so um, you know what do you think they need to do obviously some people are calling this Messi's last dance, um, like Michael Jordan.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. What do you think they need to do roster-wise? Because obviously Suarez is leaving. Briesman is still there. Um, word on the street is there. Ronald Koeman, who was the former um, manager of the Dutch team, Dutch national team, he's Dutch as well. I and correct me if I'm wrong, Diego, he had also been the manager at Manchester United before um, a couple years back. And then, um, you know, he he kind of said some things where he was like, "I want people that want to be there." Obviously, Messi said, "I don't want to be here." Um, Suarez, you know, there's a non-issue there; he was already leaving. Um, and and so now, what do they do now? As this is Messi's last season, it, you know, can you just get one player and you know, you get Memphis Depay who? Um, you know, made the Champions League semifinal who's played really well over the last four seasons in France. Do you just get that one player and suck it up and deal with it? Or do you still try to get a couple more guys in this weird transfer window that we have?
1: coman has got his uh, work cut up for him this year. And, you know, I think that unfortunately for Coman, he deserved a stint at Barcelona. He deserved a project, um, you know, for his history at Barcelona at the club. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, I think... Jose Mario Bartomeo did is doing the same thing he did with lots of other coaches um after Valverde, which is just plug another hole. Yeah. Um, he's not getting the project that he deserves. He is not getting the time or the squad that he deserves to to build a serious project. And you know, I think it's another disaster. Um they're taking away messi's best friend they're taking away suarez they're taking away his pippin this is messi's yeah they're calling it his last dance but michael jordan had his whole family in the last dance yeah. and messi has nobody messi again is alone and it's going to be another tough season this is a good squad filled with great players can they make it um to some sort of title fight for copa del Rey? or for the league, or for Champions League. Yes, they can. They can even win it, right? But it would be more of an accident than it is a serious project. And by accident, I mean, you know, this is a squad filled with excellent players that can definitely compete at every level. Mm -hmm. And what would have been the healthiest thing for Barcelona is that Messi should have gone. You know, Messi should have left and left some money, left in, um, you know, in the bank accounts of Barcelona. So they... Yeah, so you know, so they can go out there and look for the players that they absolutely need. Um, um, yeah, Depay is not. Depay has been great, you know. After his transfer to Manchester United, he didn't. He didn't. You know, he didn't perform the way people wanted him to perform. He underperformed severely. He got transferred to France and has slowly built a career from there. He's one of the few exceptions that actually has done that right. Mm-hmm. He, he's done amazing and does he deserve a chance at a big club he does he really really does um, but Koeman is gonna miss Luis Suarez and as far as I understand the situation he asked for Luis Suarez to be removed from the team mm-hmm. you can you can step away from the team of your dreams or from anything that you love you can step away from it because you realize you're hurting it you can step away from it out of love, you know. MPK minutes after the eight to two, Gerard Piqué, Barcelona center back, he said it. He said it. A lot of things need to change, and he said, and if I need to leave for this team to change for this team to be good again, he's like, then sign me up. I'll be the first to leave. And I think he said something really, really important there. You can step away out of love, out of respect, because you see the dire situation. And I think that's what Messi tried to do. And again, they, you know, they manipulated the situation, Barcelona, at an administrative level, a -hmm. financial level, you know, they manipulated the situation. He had promised him he was allowed to leave. He blocked the doors at the end. He didn't keep his word and barcelona is looking like they're going to have a tough year they're also talking about Ushnaldum, which i don't think solves anything all of these things are just he's a 29 year old midfielder right it's another hole that they're that they're um yeah that they're filling even though jose bartomeo's jose mario bartomeo's reign is going to be over pretty soon they're going to have elections in march 2021 mm-hmm. and yeah. he should be ousted by then but the damage has been done
0: yeah, and Wijnaldum, uh, the Dutch team actually lost to Italy in Nations League earlier today, 1-0. Um, and Wijnaldum was actually playing front three, actually. Yeah, so- Wijnaldum is a Swiss Army knife. He's one of the few players that's able to play all the way back, all the way front, except goalkeeper. We we haven't seen him play, put the gloves on yet. But, um, you know, Wijnaldum is not going to solve all of your problems and, and like you mentioned pk is one of those players who has been around for a long time him and messi came up together in la masia and it's like you know that that's mm-hmm. a great question you know that back line is one of the biggest issues for that team and pk has never been a speedster by any stretch of the imagination but he was always able to keep in front of his man and now he's not able to do that and so the question really does become does pk become that practice player um, because they need to have some of the younger players step up from the B squad or if they're able to get Jan Vertonghen, some of these guys that are free agents on other clubs um, across Europe, um, you know, does that become the situation and, you know, trying to get two of the Netherlands best players, which in all of them and pie, doesn't solve anything because both of those guys play well but they do well with space because of, and, and you know, you've, you've definitely watched more La Liga than I have. Um, the way that the game is played in La Liga, there's not that amount of space that you may have in the Premier League or in France where you're able to dribble and do these one-twos in a certain way because, you know, as we both know, Messi does a great job of doing these one-twos or dribbling with little space at all. And I think it's definitely going to be hard, even if those two guys showed up and, you know, which in all of them plays for arguably the best club in Europe. Obviously, Liverpool didn't win the Champions League this year. Um, but both of those guys, they like to have space and doing one twos with their teammates and stuff with space. And that's, you know, you're walking into a very uh, Frankenstein project where you don't have players that and, and a league where that you're not able to do play that way, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, no, uh, I think Spain is characterized by having kind of a, a little bit of a slower game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a slower pace in Spain. Clearly, in in England, they play at a phenomenal pace the whole entire game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spain is a lot more tactical. They have a lot. They have a lot of coaches that are a lot more tactical, a lot lot slower. They play out from the back. They, they try to take care of the ball. Most teams do. Uh, there's teams that break that mold. You know, like Atletico Madrid. I try to do something a little bit different. There's teams that do it that play really, really well. Like you know, uh, Barcelona tends to play well, even though this season they struggle. Uh, you know, it's part of their identity. Sevilla plays really, really well. Real Madrid doesn't know what they're doing. That's just a, that's just a common criticism of Real Madrid, though. But um, yeah, no, I, and I think that Messi, I think that Messi would have been one way or another successful in England. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think Messi was missing a team. Uh You know, a team behind him, a strong, robust team. And I think Manchester City was missing a player. That Mm -hmm. player that could finish those, you know, or that can find those gaps in those moments where they needed the most. Uh Um, That special player that was going to do something. I think Messi could have solved a lot of issues for Man City. I think Man City was going to solve a lot of issues for Messi. Um, You know, it's just a shame that it wasn't allowed to happen.
0: Yeah, and I think also... um... You know, as we both are fans of different clubs, whether it's on this side of the world or the other side of the world, um, you know, some clubs have good problems where they have too many players to play, like City, where they have too many talented players and you're only able to field 11. And I kind of equate the messy situation to the Baltimore Ravens after they won the Super Bowl, because the Baltimore Ravens in the NFL won the Super Bowl and Joe Flacco signed a very big extension and a lot of it was guaranteed. And with all of that money being taken up via that contract, the way that Messi's contract is set up, like you mentioned earlier, it is really hard to bring in pieces to to you know reload or revamp the team to make sure that it's competing the way um, you intended to compete. And so you know the Ravens did what they had yeah, to do; yeah. they're in a much better situation. You know Messi going to Man City, like you mentioned, that would have solved a lot of stuff because then they would have had the lineup would have been structured better because then they would have had a better understanding of how to make sure everything was loaded in so that they were still going to be successful they wanted to be the way they wanted to be
1: yeah yeah you know some of those clubs have have those holy problems and I think you know and and I think that you know with such robust contracts at Barcelona and Real Madrid and Man City and PSG you know those are some of the biggest examples at -hmm. the end of the day they kind of limit themselves a lot. Like right now, Barcelona is basically giving away players because they just need to get rid of those salaries, right? Like Luis Suarez situation. He's given a he's being given away for free. I think Juventus is going to pay like a symbolic eight million or something like that. Yep. And Rakitic left the club for nearly free. Umtiti is going to leave the club for nearly free, and mm-hmm. they just trap themselves in these financial yeah. games that they really don't know how to... They're, they're poorly administered. Surely they are. Yeah.
0: And, um, you know, I think it kind of moves very well into our next topic of um, transfer news, of how, in my mind, uh, you know, the narrative of Chelsea over the last 10 or so years has always been they buy everybody and their mom. And once again, they have done that. Um, they have gotten Kai Havertz. They've gotten... Um, a, you know, just a bunch of players from other clubs and it seems like they're ready to reload and go after it again. And, you know, it, it, it makes me nervous. Um, as I support another team in the Premier League, it makes me nervous because once again, Chelsea has, you know, locked, locked, you know, their next group in. And now it's like, Oh, great. Now we're, now we're dealing with this, um, you know, but they, they, you know, they tend to, you um, flip through players as they need to. If the contract works, great. If it doesn't, you know, Kevin De Bruyne is a great example. We loaned him out, then we sold him to City. You know, here we are.
1: Yeah, um, Chelsea is really, really, we'll see. I mean, I love that they're having that, that they're getting these players that are just amazing and that it's going to make for a really great Premier League season. But what is really strange about Chelsea's transfer plans is that they didn't need many of the players that they ended up getting. Uh-huh. They weren't suffering at the top. Maybe they needed a striker. Certainly, mm, yeah. And they definitely solved that with Simo Werner, which is an amazing player. But what they needed to what they needed to fortify was the defense. And Thiago Silva, you know, from PSG. He's he came on a free transfer to Chelsea, but he's he's in his mid thirties if I'm not wrong. He, he's thirty five or thirty six yeah, or something will, like that. He's I'm not, not going
0: to other side of the bell curve.
1: Yeah, he's not going to solve any issues. And then they have on the opposite side Malancar, who uh, a French player who is really young. They're not solving the problems that they had. The problem that they had was they had a really flimsy back line. Mm-hmm. They already had a robust midfield. They had great players on the outside, and William and Pedro, um, the Brazilian and the Spanish player, they certainly needed to be replaced. And I thought they had replaced them with Hakim Ciyech, you know. But that back line just getting worked, and it, it, to me, that's that's worrying because yes, they're going to have offensive power, but we'll see defensively how they can soft games when those games are tight and they're winning the game one zero how are they going to keep their clean sheet you know for example so i mean we'll see and then on the other side of that you know we'll see how frankie lampard is you know we'll see him as his true potential as a coach we'll see if he can manage a dressing room filled with all kinds of very interesting High profile personalities. Yeah, Hakim CGS is a great player. He's going to be fantastic. Team Werner, he's going to score 20-25 goals this year, certainly. And Kai Harvards is just going to explode under Chelsea, I think. And Chelsea's just going to make the Premier League, you know, a lot better this year. So that's, it's exciting.
0: Yeah. Well, I think, like you said, I think the biggest issue is their defense and managing egos. And I guess to spin that a little bit, as I know we've talked about MLS a little bit, um, Thierry Henry is managing Montreal Impact, um, obviously with the world starting and stopping and starting again with the leagues and stuff. Um, what are your expectations for not just another famed Premier League player, but also a black coach? Um, you know, What are your expectations in his first season in MLS? Like, uh... Do you expect that it'll go okay? Do you expect that they'll struggle? Um, do you expect a surprise, perhaps?
1: Yeah. Um, and Henry, and you know, he got a tough start as a coach. I think he got a loaded bomb when he took on Monaco uh, maybe a year and a half ago, Greg. Yes. Am I, I right on it. that? Yes, you are. Yeah. And, you know, he just... Monaco was on a, uh, you know, they were descending, and they were descending quickly, and there was no way to sh- save that ship, and he, he had a really tough start, and so, you know, the next decision he took was like, you know, he's going to go coach at this developing league, you mm-hmm. know, kind of low-profile team, not a lot of responsibility, a good place to kind of develop his coaching idea. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Montreal please correct me if I'm wrong. Uh-huh. They don't seem to be a franchise with a lot of prospects. They don't seem to be a franchise that is challenging for the league today, that they right. want to right. challenge for the league today. Yep. I think it's a great place for Thierry and Rhee to um, to develop himself as a coach, to develop those ideas, to make sure he can you know, bring them to fruition because at, at Monaco, he just couldn't. If he wants right. a career in Europe, he is going to have to show that he can with a very limited squad, he's going to have to show that he can, um, he can make Montreal an important team. Um, Because of his name, I think he'll get opportunities, you know, but if he wasn't Thierry Henry, I think he would, I think, you know, his stint at Monaco would have been enough to say, Um, he just doesn't have what it takes. I don't Mm. know too much about his ideas as a coach. Um, They have two, yeah, I don't know too much about his ideas as a coach. I don't know his style. I'm assuming he's an offensive style coach, Mm -hmm. manager. But as far as um, any deeper knowledge, I I unfortunately lack it.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm not too familiar. I did watch a short documentary recently um, just talking about, um, you know, he really wants to change the mentality of the team that, you know, the focus is to win right and that's that's important as a culture right as a coach you want to have everyone on the, on the ship yeah. you want everyone to be focused on the exact same thing with the same goal in mind um so i think that's the first step like you said um making the idea reality and taking a team that is probably somewhere in the middle of the table across the league and you know building something where they are competing not only for the supporters shield but the actual league and um you know i think that because he is um a french-speaking uh former player i definitely think montreal is an ideal situation because the majority of people in montreal speak french first um so yeah definitely um and then with other transfer news specifically juventus is getting suarez they're also getting weston mckinney on a free oh he's getting loaned out i'm sorry but there's the opportunity to buy after um what do you expect in regards to the culture shift that is happening in the sense of obviously like we talked about in our previous episode, um there's been a cultural shift as far as um people advocating for social issues and stuff like that. Um there's been a recent reinforcement for the Premier League players to you know continue with the Black Lives Black Lives Matter stuff. Um I know that um in MLS they've continued to do that as well. Do you anticipate um, the Premier League do you anticipate players to continue to do that in the sense that it's something that they're doing voluntarily or do you think that's more that's something that the league is going to be involved in and I know it's kind of like a convoluted question
1: yeah no it's a it's a loaded question for sure um, but you know I think that leagues and sports and institutions around the globe are really taking notice of the public's interests and the way the public sort of um, struggles in everyday life. And since sport is part of our everyday life, you know, I think that um, what do they call them in the news, Greg? Um, uh, the mix, the the mixing the words athlete and activist. I, I can't remember what that is, but athlete mm-hmm. activists, you yeah. know, are becoming more and more important than ever. And athletes do really do have an important voice. Uh, you know, what happens, especially, again, we reference the NBA a lot, but I think the NBA is leading the charge. And I think, you know, soccer is attempting to follow in these really important footsteps to know that, you know, the problem is made aware of, is made aware of. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, the league is interesting in changing the public's um Perception. perception of yeah perception of these social issues uh, because they have them in italy they exist they're deeply ingrained in italy like they are here we've been speaking in texts about mexico social issues that are very similar to italy's mm-hmm. um in england they exist you know they are not too kind to of black players sometimes even home players it's it's devastating you know and if just like coaching you know it comes with changing the culture if the Mm -hmm. sport respects humans and treats humans with human dignity um you know then the masses catch on they catch on because it's part of this education process this educational process you know and sport is a very very big way to reach the crowd in that way to reach the masses to reach society yeah, and I think just
0: adding on to that, um, Muhammad Salah, you know, one of one of if not the best player from Africa right now. Um, you know, I've read where he's definitely changed people in England's perception of people that are um, Muslims or practice Islam and stuff like that. Um, people that come from the Middle East, and he he's definitely made a positive impact. I know he's made the uh, various lists for being one of the most influential Muslims. In the world and stuff like that um so i think to your point diego like this is a huge educational opportunity and um i you know i just think it'll be interesting for us as we continue to do these podcast episodes but to watch it happen and i find it interesting also um you know i'm, I'm biased about what i'm going to say next but the team that i support in italy is napoli and actually one of their players um, plays with the nigerian national team and he was actually very concerned about coming over to italy for those said reasons right and he asked the team captain, who's also black, you know, should I come over is, you know, am I going to deal with this in Naples and stuff like that? And he was like, no, like Naples, you know, is, is not the issue. There's there's other places in Italy where it's an issue. And, you know, they're in they just finished preseason. And I believe this um, Nigerian player has scored two hat tricks in preseason, if I'm not mistaken, played really well. Um, you know, and he, he definitely, just like we're talking about that educational process, you know, he let the Napoli fandom, including myself, know, Hey, be patient with us. We're still trying to figure out because just like Barcelona, um, as well, Napoli is an aging team where they have a bunch of players that are on the other side of the bell curve. And you know, they do have Irving Lozano and some other players that are coming up, um, into the, into the fray and making a run for this Serie A title this season. but I think it's really important, like you said, Diego, that this is an educational opportunity, and that's the platform that sports provides. Um, so, any final notes on that cultural shift that we were circling around, though Before we jump into the next topic.
1: No, uh, again, I think that, uh, and this is, a, you know, a global issue. Right. And uh-huh. in the Middle East, for example, it's not so much color as it is gender, for example.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Right. And but everywhere there there is these problems that are getting brought to light. Right. And it's really in pursuit of a more robust system of justice that we're trying to build here and we build it as a society. And again, I'm just super. It's honestly, I, I fall in love with it. It's enchanting. You know how big or how much of a part sports plays in our lives it's amazing you know and sports serves is serving as this vehicle you know this unexpected vehicle of social change and, and i love to see it happen i love those athletes you know and I'll, we'll see how far they can take it
0: definitely and um you know uh i think with you mentioning the middle east it kind of jumps into another one of the topics that we've been talking about via text where Um, you know, some of the countries that we want to visit, see what the soccer is like. Um, Obviously, the World Cup is in two years or so in Qatar, and we were talking about how there's different soccer cultures and how black and brown players have integrated themselves into the identity and the actual play style and culture of those countries. Um, You know, the first country that we were, um, one of the countries we mentioned was Qatar and how they've made a push for naturalization. I know you've been saying, hey, like, I don't know if that's like the best idea, but I also wanted to get your perspective on it from the lens of, is it going to produce results for the World Cup? Um, and does it change the culture of the country for the better um, long-term to have you know, the, the, the local players playing against these naturalized players so that their level gets to that standard? And so it creates this cycle of as more um, local players get into the national team, does it help them play at a certain level? Or is it kind of like, they need to close a loop on that and do something different.
1: Well, I mean, and, and, you know, for Qatar, it's already proven to work. You know, they've, they, they've won the Asian cup. They're the most recent champions. So it's proven to work. Um, but I think it's problematic for, for it's football to naturalize players just as a system to achieve, you know, tomorrow's result, um, you know, because obviously if you want to have long-term success, you've got uh, to look at models, like models in Europe, especially, um, you know, in terms of the academy and how to bring up players and how to develop them at every single stage of their, of their careers. You mm-hmm. know, and to keep having because it's not just about having one generation of players, you know, that's not going to be good. That's not good enough or to have one good player in each generation. You know, it's about bringing up consistent, um, consistent. I, I don't even know how groups to call it. I guess just yeah. groups of players. Yeah, yeah. Groups of players, just pools of players that can consistently perform. I think the most, uh, you know, the most recent example of this and the best example is Germany. You know, the way that they produce. It just pools a player that are consistent that they have the replacement right, you know, right behind them. In Mexico, for example, right now, we have a, a, you know, Chicharito Javier Hernandez. He is 33, 34, something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe 32. Anyways, he's in his 30s. He's still a player we very much count on in the national team. I wish it wasn't like that, but we do. And on the other side, you know, across the pond in Germany, um, Mueller. Thomas Müller is 30 years old, and Joachim Lowe, the national coach, you know, retired him. He said it's time for a generational change. At 30, in Latin America, we would be, you know, we, you know, we would be using a, a Thomas Mueller until he's, you know, in his 35, mid to late 30s. Yeah, yeah, you know. But that's not the case in Germany. They have, you know, the system that it is. That they need to to change these things. So, uh, you know, I think it's phenomenal if you move to Qatar or if you try to find a you know a, a footballing career in Qatar and you're there for years and you know you feel a part of the community and you naturalize yourself and you want to represent Qatar at the national level. I think that's fantastic, uh-huh. you know. But the Qatar Soccer Federation just naturalizing players to have a competitive team it is just not going to work to search for tomorrow's result. That is just not going to hold up.
0: Definitely. I think, um, you know, one of the countries that we both um, appreciate um, because they have produced players such as Luis Suarez is Uruguay. And, you know, they have won two World, Cup, two World Cups, ladies and gentlemen. It was uh, almost 100 years ago when they got them back to back, but they did um, win them. And, um, you know, it's a country of about 4 million people. Correct me if I'm wrong, Diego. It's about the size of yeah. Colorado and maybe one other state, maybe Montana put together. It's not very big. And um, they have a bunch of guys playing all over the world and they play in the World Cup as long as I've been alive.
1: Yeah. And the thing about places like Uruguay and Argentina and Brazil and here come Chile and Colombia. Mm-hmm. Uh, the things about them is that, you know, they produce players as a necessity and. Um, as a business model, they have to produce players. Those leagues are so poor; they lack so much money, lack so much cash and mm-hmm. infrastructure. A lot of the, a lot of those teams don't even have stadiums. They just have the Uruguayan teams don't even have stadiums. They just have a field to go play with bleachers on the side. Um, so mm-hmm. how do they, how do these clubs maintain themselves financially? Well, they have no choice but to develop players and sell them off. Believe this or believe it not. You can look it up yourselves. Real Madrid purchased Federico Valverde for Modric. And he is a phenomenal player. At a, you know, he's an A. Uh, he's a world-class player. He's out there. Um, yeah, and he's from Uruguay. Real Madrid purchased him for $800,000. Not even a million. Wow. Federico Valverde must be worth $45 million by now. That's a steal. They purchased them from... they. Oh, my God. And a steal it is. And I think that's the thing. That a lot of these times, um, the clubs have these phenomenal players that they can't hold on to. That's why these leagues aren't better. Because they literally can't hold on to them. Because European clubs literally come and steal them. You know, it, it, they're being robbed. But they have to. It's the business model. Uh-huh. And I think it's really sad because... You know, you don't hear about the Uruguayan League. You don't uh-huh. hear about the Argentinian League, unless you're, unless you're really interested and you look it up. You know, well, but you, you don't hear about these leagues developing. River played in Boca. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I don't know, Greg, I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but can you name me, you know, maybe the best player of the, you know, of, of South America? Who's the best player that plays in South America right now? It's hard. It's hard to answer. Oh, you know, man. yes, that's, you can say all kinds of examples.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, man, that's a tough one because I, you know, yeah. it, it really depends on how you want to rank the leagues from because a lot of them are tier C and maybe tier B towards like B, B I minus.
1: And that's tough. exactly.
0: That's like tough.
1: Like, and mm, it's hard to answer because they can't hold on to their stars. Yeah. You know, they can't hold on to their stars. Uh, you can name plenty of South American players that play in Europe and in the MLS, you know, that are the stars of the league and and you can name them off, but they don't play for their local clubs. Anyways, you know, these, these um, clubs, they sell these players as a, as a financial model, you know, Mm -hmm. they have no choice. Right.
0: And I think that's interesting because another place or region, I should say that we, that we look towards is Scandinavia, where, you know, Sweden has produced a lot of players, even after Zlatan, you know, closed his career with one of the best hat tricks and bicycle kicks to close it out, perhaps in history. Um, you know, they still have a competitive squad that competes day in and day out. Norway has Holland. Martin Odegaard's had a great season in La Liga. Real Madrid just called him back last week. Norway's, you know, coming up. Denmark has a bunch of guys as well. Yusuf Polsen and so on. Um Iceland's made the World Cup, and they're a country of less than 400,000 people total, um, and they played England, and they lost 1-0, but it was a penalty kick at the end that was somewhat controversial, so, um, you know, Scandinavia's done a really good job across the board of being really competitive, and like you said, Diego, you know, part of their situation is they do have to, to sell players on, but they also have Maybe they're in that middle space where they aren't able to hold on to players, but maybe they're able to hold on to them for an extra year or two, kind of like the Neymar situation. Yeah, But then they have to let that player go on.
1: Yeah, and they have an advantage, the proximity in Europe, right? Mm -hmm. Where, yes, they don't have a lot of players in a lot of uh, world-class teams or A-teams, however, whatever you want to call them. Mm -hmm. But they do have players scattered around all of Europe that play – in Portugal, they play in Scotland, they play in England in the first division, the second division, the championship, which is a phenomenal competition, it's very competitive, Definitely. Um, you know, they play in the Bundesliga and the in the smaller teams, you know, but they're there, you know, they're present and that's what's really interesting about the Scandinavian countries is that they're kind of doing their work quietly in the background and they compete consistently, you know, and I think they have a very special advantage. And I want to be careful here because of how homogenous those countries tend to be in terms of diversity. Um, You know, and and that brings up a whole lot of issues and a whole lot of things we can talk about. Of course. But still, you know, I think they have this kind of really um, quiet way of working where they're not prevalent, but they're consistently competing. And I think that's where a lot of our Latin American countries i think that that's where the united states should be mexico should be right where maybe we're not stealing, you know a front page of sports newspapers or anything like that you know but we constantly can go to uh, world cup competitions and different competitions and and compete you know where um we get you know where there where we get seated against brazil or something like that in brazil can't just be like ah you know this is going to be an easy game you know uh we need to get these countries to compete at that level, the way that Scandinavian countries are competing.
0: Yeah, and I think just to go on top of that, um, you know, uh, I believe Sweden played yesterday. Um, I don't remember who they were playing. Um, but Denmark, they had, I believe, three players of Middle Eastern descent, but they were all playing... Two of them were playing at the outside back positions, and one of them, I think, was playing center midfielder or left mid left midfielder. Um, so, to your point, definitely, there's definitely that homogenous element, and you know, there definitely is that conversation to be had about immigration to Scandinavian countries or European countries, um, whether it's refugees or people coming from other countries just because they want to seek a better opportunity for themselves and their family. Um, but you know, to your point, Diego, definitely, the majority of the those teams are pretty homogenous. Latanić and is a perfect example of an immigrant story. His family left Yugoslavia during the civil war and stuff like that. Um, Yusuf Poulsen is is another example. Um, Josh Joshua King, who plays for Bournemouth, um, you know, is a great example. I believe he's Norwegian, um, but his father is from Africa, if I'm not mistaken. So there definitely is some diversity in those Scandinavian countries, um, but it's not to the to the level. Of, of some other European countries,
1: obviously, and as, as, in it, as well as this side of the country, or I should say this side of the world as well. Right, well then they're doing the process correctly of naturalizing players. The whole thing about naturalizing players is that the player that you're bringing on to the national team that is foreign has to be, and this is strictly soccer, mm-hmm. has to be, you know, or has to have a superior level to the player that you're possibly replacing him with, mm. you know? So it wouldn't make much sense to just naturalize an Argentinian because in a, he's an Argentinian but he's not much better than your starting striker right, right? Mm-hmm. so and even in that sense the way that the Scandinavian countries are working is in a very responsible way they the players that are naturalized and that do get an opportunity to represent the country you know they have to be better than what is already there and you know and I think that they're doing that. And I, you know, the only I think the only player I'm very familiar with in this the sense, El uh, from from Norway, who plays at Celtic. And mm-hmm. I try to watch Celtic games. If I if I don't catch the games, I watch the highlights. And he is just a phenomenal player down the left. He can do lots of different things. Uh, but yeah, he's a he's a fantastic player, and he represents uh, Norway. Yep. So yeah, definitely. And and that's when you're doing the the job correctly, you know. And so you know that's just very typical of the Scandinavian countries to work in in such a way
0: yeah and I think
1: um, as they continue
0: to have um, more opportunities to add diversity to their clubs or I should say their national teams and their local um, leagues I think that's going to be helpful across the board because it'll continue to um, modify the play style and the culture of those countries and regions and it'll help them be more competitive because you look at Portugal and they won 4-1 against Croatia and Ronaldo did not play Um, you know he going back to the Thierry Henry thing we talked about earlier the mentality of Ronaldo was I I refuse to lose and that team has done that they won the Euros when he got hurt and they have continued to just have this sort of quiet as kept like you were mentioning with Scandinavia of just like we are still competitive like we are a country that is very small but you know They have players playing at clubs as big as Manchester City. They have players playing in much smaller clubs. And, you know, they still show up and show out every single game.
1: Yeah, I think we've been in this Nations League, you know, in the last week in Nations Leagues. I think we've been seeing kind of a really pathetic level, definitely football players that are in preseason mode, you know, that don't want to get hurt before the preseason starts. A lot of ties, a lot of low-scoring games. And to watch that Portugal game, honestly, it was a breath of fresh air. It was very, very good to watch such a fresh team play so, so well, and to play with the intention that they were doing, uh, to go with the intensity that they were going at. You know, the cr- the crossbars, or the times they hit the post in the first half. You know, it's just phenomenal, and it's just. And it was a show, you know? And I think that that's what, at the end, Nations League should be. It should be a, should be a show. Mm-hmm. And I am really, really appreciative towards Portugal for, for bringing the game that everybody wants to watch, right? And these, like, very strange moments. The seasons should have started already, but mm-hmm. they haven't. And players are in preseason. They're lethargic. They don't really want to play. So it was really good to see Portugal that way. Definitely. And then...
0: Uh... Kind of flipping it back to uh, something you mentioned earlier about the championship, Leeds United and Marcelo Bielsa, Yelsa, I should say, yeah. are in the Premier League, and I know we had talked about it offhand months ago, maybe even sometime last year. But what are your thoughts on El Loco in the Premier League? Um, for people who do not know, Marcelo, Marcelo Bielsa is a critically acclaimed coach that has inspired uh, Pep Guardiola. Um, Mauricio Porciatino lots of lots of coaches around the world um, he's I mean he's the man he's got his own school sort of he's got his yeah. own method of yeah working. he's 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 obsessed he's like Kobe like he is obsessed with winning however I have to do it whatever the scouting report is we don't just do it once we do it three times like and he has a diverse squad and they they get the job done and they you know they have an Amazon series that I definitely implore or I should say. Um, yes suggest our listeners to watch because you know they have a lot of money behind them um, their owner is Italian if I'm not mistaken um, but they have a very diverse mm-hmm. team and Jack Harrison who played in MLS he's from England um, you know played college and then he played in the MLS now he's on City's books but he's at Leeds once again you know he's had a really successful career and Bielsa has done a really good job consistently over his career that spans decades of producing and, and, and crafting these players that just play at a high level. Their lungs are better than other clubs' players' lungs because they 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 run for days on that squad, and they and they do a good job. And I'm 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 excited to hear your thoughts, Diego, because I as soon as I like was looking at the table yesterday, I was like, oh my gosh, they did it! Leeds is qualified. This is huge.
1: Yeah, it, they totally did it. I'm so happy that they did it. Yeah, especially a club with a history that it has. You know, these are former Premier League champions or. What well, but was before the just the first division of England, not the Premier League, but you know um, they had won the Premier, I think the title in England as early as 1992, you know, which is you know less of a drought than Liverpool had. I mean, just you know think right. about that for a second. Right. But they did it after many years of suffering, you know, in. in what is the championship you know that is a division from hell you know it's just extremely competitive extremely difficult to win to get points uh it's a really long competition too i think they have like 48 games yeah. or something like that in their schedule i'm not completely yeah, for, sure. yeah they they
0: who, are, who are not aware you know you may think that you know this mls club or maybe this league imx club or even 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 tier A teams that are in other leagues, you bring them into the championship and it is a it is a dog oh, yeah. fight. It is Still a dog struggle. fight. You're you're playing in the rain, it's muddy, it's cold, it is not
1: easy. Yeah, I think honestly I, I think it's one of the most difficult competitions in the world, the championship in England.
0: Yeah, you're like but, um, you're right below you're right below the Premier League and all of the broadcast money and you're right above uh-huh. one in league two where it's like we don't, it's, it, there's a struggle to have enough money to field a competitive team to play at such a high level. So the championship is, in. this interesting, it's in, it's in that rock and a hard place. And it's hard. It's, it's a challenge.
1: Yeah. And it's also really interestingly, right, Greg, it's got the most lucrative game in sport, right? The promotion game between third and fourth place for the last spot into the Premier League uh, i think the winner this year got 172 million uh pounds or something like that it's it's the oh. most lucrative game in sport you know right. counting all the sponsorship and all that stuff it's it's crazy it's yeah. a crazy competition so do are, should we anticipate top eight for
0: Leeds or middle of the table oh
1: i think that's a lot i think top eight is a lot to ask especially what we're looking at in the transfer market right what United is doing, what City's doing, Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, Wolverhampton is going to be competing again. Uh, I think it's going to be very, very difficult to, to break into that top eight and to get into any European spots. But the fact that we're going to see amazing games right off the bat, the first game for Liverpool is against Leeds United. Um, that's going to be the first game of the Premier League for, for those two clubs. And that's just going to be a phenomenal game to watch. But you I think more your, than anything, uh, Leeds just is going to on out. Get yourself cell phone out and tell Liverpool's coach he needs to be ready. Yeah, no, totally. This is going to be, you know, Marcelo Bielsos famously prepared. Um, he was famous. Uh, Pep Guardiola tells this famous anecdote where in an athletic Bilbao, because that's where he coached for a number of seasons, They played Barcelona, and after the game, Barcelona, um, I think they they beat Atletico Bilbao handsomely. After the game, Marcelo Bielsa invited uh, Pep Guardiola to the back, and they had a glass of wine, and he showed him all his notes, all the notes that he had prepared uh, before the game. And uh, Pep Guardiola famously said that that Marcelo Bielsa knew more about Barcelona than he did. And that's, you know, that speaks to Piazza. That's who he is. He's an extremely prepared man, an extremely prepared coach. And his teams are also extremely prepared physically, mentally, uh, in terms of soccer. He is very smart tactically. I think they're going to be a very interesting team. They're, they've made a big signing. They signed Rodrigo from wow, Valencia. Wow, that's a big deal. Rodrigo Moreno. Yeah, it's a huge deal. For, for our you listeners know? who
0: don't know, Rodrigo is kind of like... Uh, if you played FIFA, you're aware of this, but Rodrigo was that <laughs> secret striker player that... And correct me if I'm wrong, Diego, but I know he has Spanish citizenship, but I think he's also Portuguese or Brazilian by by chance. Brazilian. Yeah. And he was always on, like, Valencia. and He was always on these lower Spanish teams, but, like, he was always... Putting the ball in the back of the net, like getting eight to ten to potentially twenty goals a season, and he was—he's just consistent. Like the guy is just—he does his job. Yeah, exactly, and that's—he does, does his job.
1: Yeah, and that's the kind of signing you want for the Premier. And uh, I think uh, Leeds probably their goal should be to maintain to maintain their spot in the first in the first division. I think they're going to struggle. Mm-hmm. But I think it's going to be a good fight. And I think we're all going to have a lot of fun watching Leeds United. Yeah. I mean,
0: I guess the next thing I would say is to your point, you know, because Leeds is a great example of how you said, because they're so well-prepared, it's a diverse team. The mindset is extremely calculated. Um, Wolverhampton is, you know, little Lisbon, as some people may call it, or little Portugal, where they have a bunch of Portuguese <laughs> players. Um, the coach is Portuguese as well. Um But, you know, one of the best players is Adama Traore, who, you know, for our listeners who have not Googled him, he looks like an American football player or a rugby player. And he (laughs) is, statistically, I think he was the best winger in the Premier League. And he also beat Man City twice, I believe, this past season. Um, Yeah. And, you know, statistically, um, he used to be at Barcelona, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, He has Spanish ancestry, but he is is a black player. Um, I believe his family is from West Africa. Um, but I mean, the guy is sensational. And I think as we're talking about this diversity part, I, for whatever reason, um, it seems like these, you know, cause Wolverhampton, as we both know, used to be a club that was in the championship before. And now they've, you know, climbed the ladder, took the money, invested it properly, kind, kind of t- taken that. I think slip. it has Chinese
1: uh, investors. Sorry uh, Interrupt. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
0: No worries. Um, but you know, they they've, they've kind of kept their head down like we're talking about with uruguay or scandinavian countries and they've created a a giant killer where you know man city on paper or liverpool on paper like you think oh this is going to be a smooth smooth game and wolverhampton walks in there and they they make it very challenging
1: you might just walk out there with a loss at home and that's what makes them so interesting yeah they they have the chinese investors but um, you know what they've managed to do with the club has been really really great in an administrative sense you know they, they're not like PSG. they're not like Inter Milan who also has a, a Chinese investor. you know they they've been really responsible and the moves that they've done have been really really interesting. Um, they're espíritu Santo what's that?
0: I said shouts out to um, the Mexican striker.
1: Raul Jimenez. Oh, Raul Jimenez. Yeah, he's been killing it there. He's been absolutely amazing. You know, one of the best strikers in the Premier League.
0: Um,
1: but, Continue yeah. The, Nuno, Nuno Espiritu Santo, their coach, you know, he is also a Portuguese uh, coach who's been, you know, has had several levels of success throughout his stints in different clubs. His, I think his best stint was at, was at Valencia. Mm-hmm. Um, but, anyways... They have just a phenomenal players and they've managed to build a little Lisbon. Like you said, they have Diogo Jota, they have Ruben Vinagre, Is
0: they John have João Moutinho, Moutinho.
1: yeah, they have Ruben Neves, mm. they just bought Fabio Silva, a 19 year old, for 35 million, making him one of the most expensive teenagers in um, all football. And all of get, these players are Portuguese.
0: Maybe they can get that Portuguese kid from Atletico Madrid online. Oh, which one? Uh, the, the dude that people compare to Cristiano Ronaldo.
1: Oh, no, that's where he is. Diogo Jota is at Wolverhampton. No, no. I think that's um, you're talking. Oh, oh Joel, Joel Felix.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joel, Joel Felix. Felix just get, for one season, just, just, to, just to get his body right.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think, well, I think Atletico Madrid ruins players in a lot of different ways. But, yeah, so he would find a perfect home there. I don't know. This team has a lot of grit, though, you know? They have style. They know what they want every single game. They know what they're playing for. You know, they have their moves memorized. They know who can and who can't. Nuno Espirito Santa has done a really good job with them. And I think that they're going to, again, compete for, you know, at least 6th, 7th, 8th, you know, if in the Premier League. I think they might sneak into 5th, man. I think this might be the year. Oh, man. Maybe, maybe. And maybe ahead of you know, maybe ahead of Arsenal. Arsenal still hasn't convinced me. Arteta, Mikel Arteta has definitely changed that team, but what they've done in the off season and what the way their squad looks like just doesn't look like they can last thirty eight games at a very high level.
0: I mean, I, I would say the same thing about Manchester United. You would know better than I would as far as what they've done in the transfer market. I know they're trying to get Jaden Sancho. He may say no. I have no idea. Um, but I think the point we're they're trying to have
1: to break the bank for that one.
0: Yeah, because he is. He's not cheap, and he used to be on City's books, and so he may feel some type of yeah. way. Um, and, you know, he's a very big athlete activist, um, like we were talking about earlier. He's one of those big proponents of that. Um, and so Manchester United would have, you know, you, these are the conditions of, you know, if he decides to silence, like, hey, guys, this is what it is. Um, so I think, I think it's interesting, you know, I think the point we're trying to make is diversity leads to success, whether it's a boardroom or a soccer field or just a new friends group um Wolverhampton Leeds, um Chelsea obviously they've they've always had a really diverse team um I guess switching over to Manchester United because they have struggled for a number of years from you know the prominence that they've had like Barcelona do you think that they're in a similar situation to Barcelona in the sense of we are kind of stuck with these players on the other side of the bell curve or is it a different situation entirely
1: um, I think it's a different situation entirely. I think Manchester United has been wanting to fix their club for a long, for a long time since the departure of Alex Ferguson, um, and I think that they're finally at a place where they can do that. Um, they have acquired Donny van de Beek, um, who Good is player. a fantastic Dutch player. Yep. Player. Twenty, twenty-two, twenty-three years old. Yeah, and. Um, what changed the club in the middle of last season was Bruno Fernandes, another Portuguese player who could play a little bit different, you know. He's that number 10 that you want that links up the midfield with the forwards and creates space and it's just a phenomenal passer. Uh, and I think what was in danger for Manchester United in that sense was that Bruno Fernandes was the only player with those characteristics. Well not anymore, now they have Donny van Beek too. Mm-hmm and they have a young squad they have young players coming up that are very good mason greenwood 18 he made his england debut the other day unfortunately he got kicked out this morning because of an unfortunate incident uh, along with phil foden but mason greenwood is also looking like he's going to be a regular starter for old gunner and we're going to see a very competitive united i think they're going to i think they're going to break top 3 they're going to be very good team and a very tough team to beat So uh, quickly, I did have an opportunity to see Mason
0: Greenwood actually play in the Dallas Cup two years ago. Wow, time is flying, ladies and gentlemen. Um, And he had come into the tournament, Diego, you'll like this, came into the tournament, he had scored 17 goals in the youth league for Manchester United, proceeded, and I got to see this in person, I believe he scored seven goals in one game, and uh, he left the tournament. Uh, He left the tournament with, I think, uh, 28 or 29 goals. because he had scored at least one goal in every single game from England all the way up until to this tournament. So he had proceeded to score seven goals in one game and I think he knocked the ball in however many 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 times more in these other games. And I knew, I was like, this kid is nice. Like he was, he does not look the way he did then. It's been two years, you know, puberty changes, you know, he cut his hair and stuff, but he was nice then, like he was nice, nice then. And so now to see him have that opportunity, like you mentioned, to play on the English squad um, I am not familiar with what him and Phil Foden did. Um, they're both younger, um, so
1: I'm not sure if they went out last night or something. And, we're and they to violated be. quarantine and they invited a couple of girls to their hotel room.
0: We're not supposed to be following Kyle Walker's uh, no. pattern. So we, <laughs> we are supposed to be uh, intelligent, uh, upstanding citizen. Um, your health is important as well as other people's health. Um, you know, it, I, I understand that dating is an important thing. You know, we, we are um, advocates of the human race on this podcast um, of all shapes, colors, sizes, and orientations. But it's important. Yes, everyone is mindful of when they associate with people because right now we are dealing with some external issues that are a little bit bigger than our dating lives, unfortunately. So gotta put yeah. that on hold. And
1: Mason Greenwood, he's eighteen. Phil Foden is twenty. It's kids doing kid things. You know, we can have a little bit of room for understanding, like you said, you know. But, you know, unfortunately that did happen. They're not going to get a chance to play tomorrow or whenever it is they play. But they were exciting. The first game was really promising. They both both looked really, really good. And, you know, England's got a good future in that sense with those two.
0: I'm still waiting to to find out what's going to happen to Ryan Brewster. That's my big thing.
1: Who's Ryan Brewster?
0: I've never heard of Ryan Brewster. So when Phil Foden and Ryan Brewster and there's I don't know if Jaden Sancho was on that squad but England won the under 17 World Cup this was four years ago I guess it'd be four years ago 2016. Ryan Brewster is on Liverpool's books the last time I checked he is half black half Turkish and really good player play striker and so the question becomes of whether or not um, you know Liverpool as we both know very deep squad really hard to start on that team I don't know mm-hmm. if he is going to play for the English national team because of the depth at said position, because Mason Greenwood has asserted himself. Um, forgive oh,
1: me. Oh, I'm kidding. I know exactly who you're talking about. Anyways, yes, continue. And
0: then, um, what is the what is the guy from Manchester United, the striker?
1: Um, the striker at United. Yeah, Mason um,
0: Greenwood. No, no, the, the other one.
1: The other one. The other one.
0: Igalo, um, Marcus Rashford. There it is. Marcus Rashford. Yeah, yeah, that
1: guy. He's the main one. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So it's like you have two guys. Those are just those are just two guys. There's Harry Kane. There's Jamie Vardy, who always wants to party. That's a fun joke. If you don't know the reference, look it up. Um, <laughs> you know, Ryan Brewster is kind of hard for him. I don't know if he's going to have to go out wide and, and play like Messi did at the beginning of his career. I don't know, um, but maybe he ends up playing for the Turkish national team. And I know we both. Have, um, you know, we were talking yesterday about some of these countries that, um, you know, there's that, di- There's you're seeing the diversity show up and you're seeing that these different players are like, oh man, like this is super cool to see different people from different cultures or intermixed cultures um, playing on these national teams. So it, I think it'll be interesting to find out what Ryan Brewster does as well as some of the other players that play on those, uh, you know, those U 19, 20, 16 squads. It'll be interesting to see how not only do they translate onto these premier league squads but also those national team squads
1: yeah totally and it's not just in england we're seeing that um um their starting lineups for example are the most important players france has done it historically you know throughout maybe the last 50 60 years uh with their african french players which Uh has been really really amazing for them and we're seeing it in spain too rodrigo uh, the very same that we were talking about just moments ago about uh, his transfer to Leeds. He's Brazilian-Spanish. Ansu Fati, he had his debut. He's 17. For Spain, he's he is um, scored. African. So, I mean, they're there, you know, and, and yeah. they're taking over these national teams. Yeah, and he scored a great goal. Man. Maybe
0: he needs to start Diego. Maybe, maybe that's the guy that Barcelona needs to let
1: start. I mean, he, he's young. You know, he's seventeen, that's a lot of weight, but he is very good. He, I mean what he what's looks the, like he's it's in the, the last right dance direction
0: for sure. It's the last dance. What's what's the worst that could happen? You <laughs> know? Like you've already didn't win anything. You might as well have the Dortmund to play. lose, and
1: apparently for Barcelona that's the end of the world. They'll lose and, and for Barcelona that's the end of the world. I mean I would love to see Ansufati play in Dortmund. I think that'd be a great place for him when Angel Reyna, Jaden Sancho, Erling Haaland, I think that would be a great place for him. That'd be
0: man, that's a that's a scary front three.
1: Yeah, totally. None of them are able to
0: drink on this side of the world. <laughs> <laughs> they can't. Uh yeah. just, just like Alfonso Davies, top five left back, can't drink on this side of the world.
1: Yeah, no, it's incredible. Phenomenal young athletes. The the game of soccer is changing and, and it's a sport for the young, definitely. Man.
0: Um, Diego, any closing remarks on transfer news, Barcelona,
1: um, diversity on club or national teams? Messi deserved to have his transfer wish granted. He deserved to leave at the moment he wanted to. pandemic thing is definitely impacting the transfer market. Some teams have more money than others. For example, Chelsea, Man City, uh, Manchester United, who have made important economic moves. Um, You see teams like Barcelona and Real Madrid are losing their economic power and their stance in the world. They haven't really brought anybody in. Mm -hmm. They're not really in a capacity to do so. Um, It's going to be a really interesting season. And and I'm really, really excited. Someone needs to free Junior Firpo uh, because I know that Barcelona paid a
0: lot of money for him. And uh, for our listeners who are not aware, Junior Firpo, as well as a few other players that I can mention as well, is Dominican... Um, but he uh, has played for the Spanish youth teams. Um, but it'd be awesome because me and Diego had talked about this, had talked about this before offhand. But as Junior Fropo is Dominican, there's also um, there's also a couple other Dominican players. One of those players is on Madrid's books. Um, his name is escaping me right now. Um, but Mariano. Uh, there it is. And then Ruben Vargas, who already has declared he's playing for the Swiss, the Swiss national team. But there are some other Dominican players. Um, but free Junior Furpo because he deserves to start. Because as we've talked about, um, you know, Jordi Alba, very long career, won a bunch of stuff. You know, rings for days. Junior Furpo deserves it deserves an opportunity to integrate into the squad the way Tomato has. Um, so I'm hoping Junior Furpo gets a run. Um, Yeah, you gotta let let the kids play at this point. You gotta let the young guys play, or even if, you know, Junior Firpo is our age, so he's in his mid to late 20s. Let the young guys play, um, because, you know, as you mentioned, Messi deserves to ride off in the sunset correctly. So I'm hoping, you know, Griezmann and company are able to, you know, get it together, have a good season and and just make something exciting. Like you said, Diego, I think, you know, it's a very exciting season. There's a lot of potential. Um, The diversity needs to be there because that is what's going to give you that success. If everyone is playing the exact same way, It is not going to work. You need to have different players from different countries, ethnicities, religions, and so on, because that's going to give you that edge to make sure that whatever you need to do to win, you're going to do it. Um, Oh, last question, Diego. Any expectations for – I'm going to phrase it like this. Any expectations for the Mexican national team as far as what that team is going to look like as we get closer to qualifiers for the World Cup?
1: Yeah, I do have some expectations. I just want to see the generational change come to fruition. I want to see the young players in, in the league come up and get the opportunity on the squad, which I know Tata Martino is very, very interested in doing. Um, I don't want to rely on players like Chicharito anymore. Um, I think we need to get past that and we need to start building from the bottom. And if that takes a World Cup process to learn uh, to have an even better World Cup for... 2026, which will be, do we know where that's going to be, Greg?
0: Yes. Canada, U S and Mexico.
1: That's right. Yeah. So it'll be here and you know, if, if that's got to take a process, then I think everybody's got to be patient, but I, I want to see the new generations come up. I want to see the kids get a chance.
0: Awesome. Diego, once again, thank you so much for being an integral part of this podcast. I really appreciate it and hope you have a great rest of your week, man.
1: Yeah, man. You too. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Well, thanks everyone for another episode.
0: We'll be back next week.